You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hi, welcome to Nick Lug Daily. It is Wednesday the 20th of July. Thanks to Charlotte for all her work for the, the last couple of days. And uh, it's good to be back in the, the hot seat for the next three days. I'll see you out to the end of the week. And then Nick will return uh, next week, which is Goodwood Week. We will touch on that with um, Bjorn Nielsen very shortly with the news that's just broken. More on, on that very soon. We'll also have an update from Galway, which gets underway next week. Seven days at Galway starting on Monday. We do have plenty to get through today. My guest is broadcaster and journalist Lydia Hislop, and we do start with the recent jockey merry-go-round. And the most recent news is that Andrea Atzani will partner Stradivarius in the Goodwood Cup instead of Frankie de Tori. Uh, Lydia, plenty of riders up and riders down. What do you make of this one? Um, there's a sense of inevitability about it, but it's a real shame, I think, either way around. And it's a, something of a, of a, a sour ending, I think, if it is an ending, between um, Frankie de Tori, um, Stradivarius and Bjorn Nielsen. Um, Frankie de Tori has ridden um, Stradivarius on 26 of his 34 starts. He's won 15 group races on him, including three Ascot Gold Cups, or Gold Cups as, um, the, as we, we, we should call it, and two Goodwood Cups. But Andreas and is also won two Goodwood Cups, standing in for Frank Dettori once when he was um, suspended. He was the obvious go-to alternative in that he is unbeaten on the horse in, in three starts, having also won the Queen's Vars on him when he was a three-year-old. But I don't know. I mean, that, it, it just stresses really that what happened in the Gold Cup in June, particularly the aftermath and how each party, uh, by which I mean Bjorn Nielsen, Frank Dettori and John Gosden, all behaved. You know what they said was just you know really significant um and i know that uh, bjorn has said that he and frank Dettori are still friends john gosden has said the same but clearly this is a um a wound a hurt um something that cannot be got over even for what could potentially be stradivarius's final start and that to me seems a a, a great a great shame and again it seems to me that Frankie Dettori seems to be managing the situation, you know, very well from having advised, according to Bjorn Nielsen, him to find an alternative jockey if that's what he wants. And also via the way he drew a line under the whole episode when talking at the July meeting. But, you know, I think it's, um, it's a shame that uh, a horse and a relationship that has been such a an alloyed positive for horse racing over so many seasons should be mildly tainted with this sort of sourness towards the end. Yeah, here is uh, Bjorn Nielsen explaining why. It was a mutual decision. Honestly, I promise you, it was, you know, he's not had the best of luck, let's put it that way, in his last three runs, uh, the 21 Gold Cup, the 22 Gold Cup and Champions Day. Um, you know, he was caught in the pocket three times, too far back, and you know everybody knows he's got the big turn of foot. So it's kind of been the game since um, Champions Day 2018. You know, the way to beat the Strad is to try and put him in a pocket, keep him on the rails, and don't let him out. And um, 
you know, unfortunately for Frankie, that's that's what happened. You know, the last three times he's ridden the Manasket, and so um, you know, we both mutually felt, you know, that let's let's put Andrea up, and, and Frankie even suggested it. So it was in total agreement, and um, Andrea knows the horse very well. You know, he's, he's ridden him three times. He's won three times big races, and um, you know, uh, everybody's everybody's happy. I saw Frankie this morning. Uh, you know, Jones, and you uh, <clears throat> know, everybody's fine with the decision. I can mm. tell you that. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Frankie's a competitive guy. It's hard to imagine him, you know, wanting to get off the horse because I'm sure he feels he's got he's got unfinished business. Was it? I mean, did you sit down with him and just you, you discuss it between yourself and John and Frankie, or, or how did how did it all work? Well, not, I mean, obviously after we came out of uh, Royal Ascot, you know, everybody's been widely been, it's been widely reported that you know we weren't thrilled, um, and. You know, Frankie, you know, we texted, we texted a little bit at the end of the week and, and Frankie felt like um, it may be an idea to put somebody else up, um, you know, for the Goodwood Cup and, and you know, look, there's a lot of pressure riding a horse when it goes wrong three times in, in major, major races, you know, it puts even more pressure on the next time. So, quite honestly, you know, I'm happy enough with, uh, very happy with Andrea. He knows all this very well, as I said. And and Frankie's very happy in the situation too. And I really mean that. And Frankie said, you know, look, I'm going to remain his biggest fan. Mm. I'm not going to ride anybody else in the race. And and uh, we're very good friends. And that's the way it is. Um, the horse then, uh, you know, I know you said... Um, the day that he, he's not enjoying it or not showing his best, we, we may call it quits. Um you're obviously looking forward to the the Goodwood Cup, and I take it you feel like you he, he's due one, right? You, you you must have been you've been frustrated the last few starts. He's he's still in top nick, is he? He is as enthusiastic as he's ever been. He shows no signs of you know not wanting to do it anymore. I can tell you that, and um, you know obviously one day he'll run a bad race. It could be next Tuesday. Um, mm. And when he does run a bad race, because he's never run a bad race except, you know, the twice he ran in very heavy ground, which was the Arc in 2020, and the follow-up on Champions Day that year was also very bad ground. Otherwise, the horse has never failed to perform. So the day he runs on his ground and he fails to perform, you know, it's probably curtains. But um, I can tell you he's in top nick right now. He's... He's ready to go next Tuesday, and everybody's very happy with him. How, how what's? It, I know you've been to see him yesterday morning or, the, or this morning. What what's it like when you go and see him? How he's obviously so special to you. Do you, you know, you, do you go in? Is is he a bit bit like an old friend to you? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, but I was saying this morning, I promise you, five years since he won the Cup in twenty seventeen. It's like yesterday, so. You know, it's gone by so quickly. It's amazing to have a horse who's run as many times as he has and won as much as he has. You know, it makes you think about only most horses, you know, you see them for about a year and a half or two years. I've had him for a long time. And it's flown by, but of course he's a special friend. And, um, you know, uh, but, you know, he's still up there, up, up Warren Hill. I mean, he's just full of, you know, he's, 
Well, look, Tuesday is going to be a special day. Wish you, the horse, Andrea, all the very best, and thanks for your time. Anytime. Uh, he ended there, Lydia, by by talking about how um, how well the horse was. Um, ultimately, jockey decisions aside, it, it would be great to see the horse back in the winner's enclosure. It, it, fair to say, he's he's not the force of old, no. I don't. I don't think he is, but he's not far off it. I mean, he's you know he's not a completely unrecognisably lesser horse, and he is still highly competitive at the highest level. It's just that he is not the totally dominant horse that he was before. Now, other horses have emerged as he's got older. Subjectivists primarily, but of course he suffered quite a well a very severe injury which we hope to see him recover from and then of course there's Trushan who has who has beaten um, Stradivarius I think three times now um, and I think that um, you know those horses are are, are a, a little younger they they might they might be have been better anyway but they were um, meeting Stradivarius when he was older he's now now an eight-year-old but you know he's still very much in the game, it would have been close between him and Kiprios and Mojo Star in the Gold Cup had he um, not got shuffled back very early and had to come um, with a, a run that was um, later than ideal. And I hope the weather affords us the chance to see Trushan line up. That would be that would be welcome. And looking at the forecast, yeah. pretty good. Um, we'll, well see. Um, Alan King has been given some positive noises about that, hasn't he? He's essentially said that if it's good ground, then the horse will run. And uh, obviously, Goodwood is a is a downland course. Ed Arkell is the clerk of the course. There is like Andrew Cooper with Epsom is very concerned to ensure that the the ground is not too fast going downhill um so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what kind of ground is produced and whether alan king feels that it is um suitable for trusham like you i very much hope he does yeah i remember alan king being um adamant last year i spoke to him last year um before the race and he said you know i've always said he'll run on good ground good ground is fine so if you know hopefully we 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 get that and um and he lines up Uh, this was off the back lydia of uh, as we touched on yesterday on on the podcast james doyle riding mishriff over david egan after prince faisal i think it's fair to say that camp ended their relationship given david egan's um subsequent comments to what prince faisal had to say on on this podcast do you have sympathy for david egan Yes, I do have sympathy uh, with David. Um, it, it, it would seem from what he had to say that he was hopeful of the partnership continuing, which very much contradicts the um, uh, messages that were put out by uh, Prince Faisal and his racing and breeding manager earlier in the week. Um, it would seem potentially that the eclipse might have been a flashpoint, which I think would be unfortunate um i think de- i think based upon what again what prince faisal has said about the race on on this uh, podcast i think definitely so i think that is um unfortunate um i i think it's not i mean I, and there's no doubt that mishrif was unlucky the degree to which he was unlucky uh, will be interesting to find out i think you know vadeni was played a little bit earlier than he might have been otherwise it, you know you can see a scenario where mishrif might have beaten him but equally the race might have looked very different very different if um christoph Simeon hadn't spotted that mishrif was in trouble on his inside and made the move when he did um whatever it is just one race and uh if you look back at what um David Egan has achieved on Mishrif in in the Saudi Cup, in the Shima Classic, in the International. Um, you know, it, nothing to do with with um, 
David Egan, what happened in the Saudi Cup this season. I, I, I feel that's unfortunate. So, yeah, I, I do have a, have a lot of sympathy for, for, for David Egan, but I'm sure he will continue to ride at the top of his game. I'm sure his career will continue to develop in a, in a positive way. He's got a great relationship with Roger Varian, but unfortunately he'll have to be um, forwarding uh, that uh, particular his his career without the link up with Mishriff and sadly without the link up to Eden either the promising field and winner who was who was fourth in the Guineas but um, yeah I think it's a again it's a it's a it's a great shame that seemingly one race should have the effect of severing a, a partnership. Yeah, so James Doyle will park the, the horse in the King George. And um, we have known for, for a little while since Saturday that Colin Keane will, will ride Westover in that race as opposed to, to Rob Hornby. Interesting speaking to people about this. Some people feel very uh, sorry for, for Rob Hornby, given the reasons that I think w- were given by the Judgment team for why Colin Keane was riding the horse at the Curra because of his knowledge of the track. Uh, but there are definitely others who, you know, who who feel that sticking with the winning rider makes sense. Where where do you sit, Lydia? I can see I can see both sides of this. I think once Colin Keane got on board Westover and the horse won so impressively at the Curra, um, it was difficult to jock him off. Now Rob Hornby made a a very good case on his own behalf by riding two Group One winners within twenty four hours at the July Festival, and of course he has the superior strike rate to Colin Keane at Ascot particularly. And I mentioned that only because when uh, Barry Marne, the general manager for Judmont, mentioned that he was going to uh, book Colin Keane rather than Rob Hornby for the Curragh, that was on the basis of Colin Keane's, or partly on the basis at least, of his knowledge of the Curragh, which was a valid point. Well, um, Colin Keane is not for 46 at, at Ascot, according to the figures on the Racing Post website, whereas Rob Hornby is 5 for 78. Um, but clearly, on the other hand, Colin Keane is a is an acknowledged you know, internationally great rider. He's ridden Group One winners in America, you know, as, as well as, as as in Ireland and in 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 Italy. I think I think the Lydia Tessio was a was a Group One at the time that he he rode that win. Um, and you know, he's been three times champion jockey. And Barry Marm was making the point that he that Jedmont have a, a very close um, association with him. So. I can I can see both sides of the argument. I think the point about track familiarity is the one that, from the outside, has stuck into in some people's craw. You know, if you want Colin Keane to ride the horse, just say so. Mm. Uh, I think that's that's up to speed with the the jockey changes. I was going to call the podcast "Who's Riding Who," but I thought that might prompt <laughs> some prompt some you, silly responses on social media. Well, I think you might get some. In- you might pop up in some interesting searches, certainly. You do exactly, yeah. Uh, right, um, Curra accuracy or inaccuracy of um, of races. Uh, the the scurry at the weekend. It was suggested on social media that um, it was run over an inaccurate distance. Uh, that followed on from something which Simon Rowlands had mentioned with regards to his analysis of the Irish Derby. Yes, now this is a this is a, an interesting little tale. So um, you've given some of the the backdrop there in that um, Simon Rowland, some sectional times were published of the Irish Derby that um, he suggested that the race may be nearly half a furlong further than 
and advertised. Uh, this was was disputed. Uh, but Course Track, who produced um, the first official sectional timing data for an Irish classic for the Dubai Duty Free Irish Derby, um, admitted that some inaccurate data was published. Simon Reynolds had described it as manifestly inaccurate. Move on to um, last Saturday when um, Barry O'Neill, who's at Racehorses Race One on Twitter, he's a retired equine physio he highlighted that the scurry handicap appeared to start from a, a different point on the track at the curra um, on saturday in 2022 compared with video evidence from 2019 and then on top of that we've got graham north writing on sportinglife.com um, that he had had difficulties um, sorting out time figures on the straight course and he said that the figures that he came out with are not ones I'm particularly confident about and clearly it was difficult for him to work out why there were discrepancies between the official times and the hand times that he took you know larger than expected discrepancies as he, as he said. Um, since then the Racing Post have gone to the current chief executive Brian Kavanagh who's pointed out that the distances of each race are measured before every make race meeting with a trundle wheel by the racetrack foreman and the clerk of the course and he points out that the way that the race is run wind direction and wind speed um, have impact on the overall time and the distance of the race is not in question that is a quote um well <laughs> that prompted simon rowlands on the hottest day of the year to go into his back garden <laughs> with a trundle wheel and measure it 27 times i love and- that he i love that he has a trundle wheel uh, it is beautiful, isn't it? You, you wouldn't have thought that, that would be in his armoury. Um, he did this between 1538 and 1554 BST on the 19th of July. The ambient temperature was 37.2 degrees Celsius. And he found that, that um, there was a deviance in from a minimum of uh, 3,530 centimetres to a maximum of 3,670 centimetres of the distances distances recorded each on each of those um, 27 times that he went round his garden. And that was a standard deviation of 32 centimetres. The point he is making is that there are much more up-to-date ways of uh, measuring distances and that a, a trundle wheel is not cutting edge. Never. Um, and, <laughs> I know. And while we're reeling from that revelation, um, the, the point is that back in 2017, the, the British Horse Racing Authority ordered the independent surveying of all race distances at all race tracks in Britain. Um, and that was a great, largely down to, if not mostly down to, Simon Rowland's own campaigning about the inaccuracies of race distance. It was a really important piece of journalism and it it resulted in something really important, positive, constructive and helpful for the British racing industry. At the moment, however, there are no plans for Irish racing to follow that. And that's despite some very high profile discrepancies. You know, the 2021 Savills Chase at Tremor, which Albin Photo ran, which was run as a a trip longer than advertised. Um, Simon Rollins has since himself pointed out um, differences in from his favorite example of a discrepancy uh, offering pictorial evidence of Apples Jade and Open Eagle at the 2017 Puncheston Festival. Uh, they were meant to be racing over distances that were supposedly 100 yards different but actually started at the same point. There's also the 2019 Her Majesty's Plate at Down Royal where the li- a listed winner appeared to break the track record until it was worked out that in fact the distance was shorter than advertised. So 
this feels like you know, to bring a, a sort of British analogy in this 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 position from from Irish racing in general, and then at this point from from the Curra feels like the uh, first comment made by Number Ten under under Boris Johnson's um, governance, where um, an unfeasible uh, position is taken against scientific evidence. I mean, I think that Graham North and uh, Simon Rowlands, for example, understand the impact of wind direction, wind speed and the way a race is run in order to be able to, to analyse a race. I think we can be pretty confident that they're, they're up to speed, no pun intended, on that. So uh, this feels like a, a, a statement that, that, that there's nothing to see here that will not hold in the face of reasonable scientific criticism. Right, we're going to turn our attention to aftercare now with uh, news this morning that British Racing has partnered with Heroes. Um, to tell us more about that, because um, my guest, uh, Frank Compostella, who project manages aftercare at the Horse Welfare Board, knows a good deal more about this than me and indeed anyone else. Um, Frank, you can, you can lead the way with this and, and tell me how this came about and, and what really we can expect going forward now. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, well, this all actually came about after the Aftercare Funding Review, which was published in March 2021, and it provided a list of recommendations. So the Horse Welfare Board, uh, in, in promoting uh, welfare of the horse from cradle to grave, looked at all these recommendations and felt that, that there needed to be a prioritization of these objectives. And in order to do that, the, what they needed to achieve first was uh, defining an extent of racing's responsibility. So that was the initial focus of our work eight months ago. Uh, and through that, we've managed to prioritize the projects. And, and what we identified as being one of the critical steps was having traceability at every step of a horse's lifetime. And when we do have gaps is indeed as they enter the aftercare space. So we're very well versed of where they are during racing. We do pick them up and have done for many years successfully if there are issues with them when they're in the public domain later on in their careers, when they've already switched into a different career from racing. But what we didn't have was really a greater understanding of how they transition and if there was anything in that critical step that we could do to support them. And so through that, we, uh, we expanded the original safety net. So we added funding and resources to the original safety net and held a pitch process that was held nationally. We had more than 60 aftercare providers that were contacted and five were shortlisted. An independent panel of um, specialists assessed uh, the, the shortlisted candidates and, and graded them uh, with an objective criteria and heroes indeed managed to win the pitch and, and will take on this additional step of the safety of the original safety net. Okay, so I think something important you, you touch upon there. This this doesn't affect affect any previous funding for any aftercare provider whatsoever. This is additional money that heroes will receive for this for this extra project, if you like. Everything that's originally in place is unaffected. Exactly. So it's quite exciting that we've got more resources, more funding, and it doesn't touch at all the previous funding. So the previous providers are still engaging with the industry and with the public as they had done mm -hmm. before. But now we've got an extra step to support these horses. What what will change going forward then from what we within the industry sort of loosely understand how, how aftercare works? What, what can we expect to change in the, in the immediate future or, or perhaps a little bit beyond that? Greater support, not just for the horse, but for the people that deal with them, so within the industry and out. 
So we know that obviously changing jobs is difficult, whether you're a horse or a human being. And then having a network there that can help you through it is fundamental. What it also does for the sport is it gives us a greater idea of the number and the areas of need in that critical step. And so in future, it can inform us as to whether we want to uh, add more educational activities or whether we do actually need to be more hands-on in that process. And of course, that in itself will help us with the traceability piece. Mm. I, I think what I'm sensing this is this is sort of gearing towards is is openness and accuracy with regards to numbers and, and what happens to horses after racing. And I, you know, I'll be honest, when, when I speak to some people outside of racing, um, you know, sometimes I feel awkward with regard to that question, what happens to horses after racing? Because hand on heart, I, I don't know what happens to every single horse. And I, it's nice to hear that um, the Horse Welfare Board want accuracy in, in that department. I mean, do, do, is that what you're working towards? And, and I mean, do you have specific figures as, as now, what happens to each and every single horse? Yeah, absolutely. What I can say is that all the work that the Horse Welfare Board uh, supports and does is, is backed by hard evidence and we're always seeking to find uh, more information and, and be more accurate with what we do. What we do know, uh, with the specifics of right now, is how many horses retire every year through their non-racing agreement. We also know that 90% of them are rehomed successfully from trainers and, and quite easily. We also know that 10% of those require some hand-holding and, and support. And that's where we want to step in. And with those, we've, we're actually quite excitingly are developing a tool with the University of Surrey. So we're developing a specific um, branch of an existing tool that has been around and has been used in different contexts with, with animals, um, reviewing the, the delicate sort of balance of, a, of an animal transitioning into a new context and its welfare. And it looks at quite some specific um, details of its context, its behavior, its clinical parameters, and it can review them regularly. And this tool is being evolved specifically for racehorses, not for horses in general, but specifically for racehorses as they retire. And it will be available to be used not just by the specialists, that rehome and re and, and rehome them and or and or retrain them, but also by the members of the public that take them home, and that gives us access, an ongoing access point with those owners and with the general public. But again, it also informs us in future with data as to where the gaps may be and where we can support the horse and its new owner um, throughout its its future. Brand, great stuff. A pleasure to talk to you, and um, look forward to seeing how this develops going forward. Thank you. Thank you again. Frank Compostella there talking about the uh, partnership between Charity Heroes and British Horse Racing. Um, th so this is one of the strategies, Lydia, to come out of uh, a life well lived. Obviously, the, the, the whip was one of those. I think one of 26 the, the whip was, and this is another. Yes, that's right. So um, the independently chaired Horse Welfare Board was established in 2019. It's responsible for overseeing a single overarching strategy for equine welfare in the racing industry. A Life Well Lived is its five-year strategy launched in February 2020 and considers the whole of the racing industry, including sectors that aren't currently fully regulated by the British Horse Racing Authority. And it looks across the lifetime of all horses bred for racing. Lots of uh, work streams, as they would put it, are underway at the moment. And this is one of them. And they cover projects ranging from, ranging from traceability, which obviously is something that British Racing needs to improve, 
training, obstacle improvement. We've seen the, the benefits of that out on the track already last season over jumps and development through to welfare funding. So um, this is a this is a a positive step and um, the press release that's been put out by, by the Horse Race Welfare Board says that this appointment marks an important milestone in the collective establishment of racing's responsibility and the expansion of the industry's safety net. And well done to, to Heroes, the charity as well, who, who will undertake the work. Um, we should mention, I, I know that you had seen the, the BTRC, the, the British Thoroughbred Retraining Centre, had um, put out some, some tweets about their disappointment of, of not being involved. They, they didn't win the pitch. Um, Fram, keen to highlight that this is, this is all new money going forward. It, it doesn't affect any previous funding that, that, that will have been in place. This is all an, a new project and Heroes will receive new separate funding for this. Yes, reading between lines, the Luxing Centre um, you know, pitched um, in, in this uh, five-month pitch process, which 60 British aftercare providers were interviewed, and that resulted in a shortlist of candidates from which heroes were selected by a panel of experts across the industry. Um, and the press release again stresses that all current funding opportunities for the network of aftercare providers across Britain remain unchanged and therefore that this is extra money. Um, starting from August, Heroes will provide high quality care for any thoroughbred exiting racing that may need extended time and additional resource to support retraining or recuperation. As part of the service, full assessments of each individual animal will be carried out with bespoke programmes designed and implemented to help transition them successfully to their next stage of life. Once a horse has been approved for rehoming, Heroes will then use its extensive network and that of um, retraining of racehorses to help match each horse to an appropriate owner. For anyone new to owning a thoroughbred, a range of educational and support programmes will also be offered to ensure both horse and owner have the appropriate foundations in place to set them up for success. And I was interested by the point in that interview that this is to try and close that gap between knowing the horses that are exiting the racing industry and you know knowing where they eventually end up and trying to make sure that it's easier for owners and trainers who who have a horse that would be suitable for a a second or or even third career um, to go to and that this is a a well signposted well flagged uh, single place to go um, and it it will uh, enable um, it will make things easier for owners and trainers they'll know exactly what to do exactly where to to turn to and that's why i think it it, it is a a closing of of an existing gap and um it's it, it's got to be a positive thing and it's good to hear that all of these uh, positive developments are happening yeah and fran referenced um a new innovation from the university of, of surrey uh, and that's not the only example of of british racing working with the university because um yesterday you alerted me to Uh, the fact that equine cardiac arrhythmia research was to receive uh, horse race betting levy board funding. Yeah, that's right. This was published last week, but um, it was a grant for um, £343,296 from the levy board to fund important research with the potential to improve the ability to identify horses with equine cardiac arrhythmia. And as you say, the researchers are based at the University of Surrey's Faculty of Health and Medical Sciences, and they hope to develop an artificial intelligence-based test to identify horses at risk of developing irregular heart rhythms with this funding. Um, Irregular heart rhythms are a cause of poor performance in racehorses and can also be the cause of sudden cardiac cardiac 
death, but their detection often evades standard diagnostic tools. And James Gibbon, who's the British Horse Racing Authority's Director of Equine Health and Welfare, has, has welcomed this. He says that we hope that the outcome of this project will be that we can detect horses prone to cardiac rhythm problems much more easily, understand their implications for the horse's future, and make sure that our management strategies ensure that horses' safety remains our top priority. And interestingly, Celia Marr, who's the Newmarket-based equine vet, um, who you will remember helped Denman and Sprinter Sacro notably to recover from their um, a, a cardiac arrhythmia. She will be working with the University of Surrey team. She said that this project will provide es essential tools and information for these cases and transform our ability to diagnose and manage them properly. So again, that's more good news, more, more positive steps in um, horse welfare and uh, the management of, of horses uh, that, are, that are racing and horse racing. I'm going to ask you for a tip shortly, but I thought we'd start with an easier prediction, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. When is the white paper on the Gambling Review going to come out? Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> um, I mean, well, given that the, 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 the recess is happening as of Thursday night, I think there's, there's next, to, next to zero chance of um, the, the white paper being published. I mean, there was an outside possibility that it might happen this week and it would seem that that is um, diminishing. And that means that we're kind of in the same holding pattern as we were last November. I mean, it was going to be published before Christmas, then it was going to be published again, then again. And obviously we've had all of this um, disruption with government, which has resulted in a, in a, in a form of paralysis. Um, so it's left to the next, whoever will be the next Prime Minister. And um, currently that looks perhaps likely is to be Liz Truss. And um, Ian Duncan-Smith, is behind her and here clearly he is um, very concerned um, with the the gambling white paper uh, you know initially he wasn't um, behind Liz Truss it took a while for him to to to, to go in that direction I mean were there any um, agreements made in in in, the, in this direction in the direction of the of the, of the white paper who knows um, Chris Philp who of course was the formerly gambling minister has now backed her although initially he went with Sajid Javid he's now with um, Liz Truss Liz Truss herself her constituency has Shadwell um, within within it so she should have a full understanding of the uh, benefits that horse racing and the wider industry brings to um, the the country and of course so far if you been watching the leadership debates and it's been pretty difficult to avoid them then their chief topic of conversation on taxation policy in the state of public finances both of which of course would be affected adversely with stricter measures um, it will reduce the the tax income you know social policy so far has got very little mention amongst the the candidates of course this could change once they start to talk to the conservative membership rather than than just each other other fellow ministers um, you know, Rishi Sunak is another possibility of, of being future prime minister um, he would have seen the review at each of the stages having been um, chancellor at the time he's been a good supporter of horse racing he's spoken out against uh, or expressed concerns rather about the review in the past and then there's Penny Mordaunt who's more difficult to assess about um, where she stands um, of course there'll also be the accusation once we do have a new prime minister that that person hasn't been elected and uh, one of the arguments against that will be that we were all elected on the the um, conservative party um, policy you know what the what their commitments in their manifesto were 
Um, and in that, there is a commitment to address gambling reform. So there's a potential that this uh, white paper might be one of the things that does happen fairly soon after we have a new prime minister. But then again, DCMS have online safety, football governance, you know, the media, the, the status of the BBC and Channel 4. Um, where where do, does gambling come within those prior, priorities? And in the meantime, what is the Gambling Commission doing? Because they seem to be um, potentially emboldened what seems to be agreed to be an early leak of uh, of the white paper seem to cede them additional responsibilities um, you know what 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 will they be doing in the meantime really their um, their actions were meant to be um, brought under the review of the of the of the of the white paper and they weren't meant to be acting single-handedly before government had decided what they should and should not be able to do um, and whilst we have this hiatus what is the gambling gambling commission going to um uh, stride on um with the with the sort of emboldened to tackle uh, this area by themselves uh, you know it's a mess frankly mm. Um, yeah, it, it sounds it, doesn't it? And well done for giving uh, no political views away in the way you said Liz Truss. I thought that was... Thank you very much. Very well done. Uh, we're I, none the wiser. I, I, I thank you. I'm as, I'm as difficult <laughs> to read as she is. <laughs> um, right, one more topic, uh, which is... So we spoke to Rafe Beckett on the podcast last week. We all know what happened with the, the last race at Newbury on Saturday. One thing that Julian Thick from Newbury Racecourse had said in the, in the press release was we can look forward to, to, to better times prize money wise because of the additional media rights money from uh, coming from Sky Sports Racing when that deal comes into effect. Greg Wood has written more on this. Yes, it's a, it's a really good piece in The Guardian from yesterday. I'd urge people to, to, to go and read that. Um, he points out that Newbury has said that it plans to boost prize funds significantly from 2023 when our new media contract comes into effect. Um, Greg points out that there's been a move towards a turnover-based model to pay for online streaming rights, with betting firms agreeing to pay a fixed percentage of their racing turnover to show live racing on their sites. The exact terms of these deals are a closely guarded secret, says. Um, but with overall betting turnover on racing standing at about 11 billion annually and the online sector accounting for at least two thirds of the total, the difference between, say, a deal for 1% of turnover and a deal for 2% could run to many tens of millions of pounds each year. And uh, I was um, arrested by um, a statement from Julian Thick following um, that, the declaration of no runners for the last race last Saturday. Um, he has committed a minimum of 40% of total media revenues to our prize money for the next three years. And my point is a, is a, is a general one rather than a, a specific one. Uh, it, the exact terms of, of these media rights deals are a closely guarded secret. And this is a point that Ralph Beckett has made. It's also a point that Paul Johnson, who is the chief executive of the National Trainers Federation, has made. And that is very difficult uh, for racing to make you know, fundamental decisions about, about, about their fixture list, um, but also to understand where the money is going how much money is coming in and where it is going and what really needs to, to happen I think is there to be a, a debate an open and frank debate about uh, how much money should 
for media rights should flow into prize money because at the moment it's discretionary from race course, what race courses put in. As I said, Newbury have committed to 40% of total media revenues for the, in their, into their prize money over the next three years. Is that the is that the right amount? You know, we this is something that needs to be discussed, debated, and a minimum standard agreed. Um, there is not enough transparency for all players across this sport in this area, and there needs to be if we're going to be, make sensible decisions uh, going forward. Next week is the iconic Galway races. Seven days of, of brilliant racing across both codes, and uh, CEO at Galway is Michael Maloney, who, who joins me now. And Michael, you must be excited to get underway on Monday. Uh, afternoon, Tom. Yeah, look, it, it certainly is something really looking forward to it. Uh, I suppose there's, there's such a hype building around this year after three years with really no fans on site. We were just had a small number last year. We were allowed a thousand uh, fans per day uh, over the seven days. But uh, really, I suppose the, the excitement, the palpitation, the excitement among the team, uh, the build up around the enclosure, it's just. Uh, something that we've missed I suppose since 2019 and it's uh, uh, really happy to be part of it again this year and it's you know we've we probably had 60-70 people on site every day for the, the last couple of weeks and you know marquees are in place and you know the, the stage is really set to, to welcome people back to the to the festival I think so many people are looking forward to it you know they make the, the Galway festival is, is a is standard mark in their diary uh, they come here every year uh, or people from from Bali really right around the world come home. It's a bit like Christmas here, uh, and they they come home for the for the Gold Festival. And uh, you know, I think it's a, an opportunity. Really, I think the people that maybe haven't been able to get home in the last few years will be here. And uh, that's really what Galway is all about. It's it's meeting friends, it's reunions, it's it's families. Uh, we really we we try and offer something for for everybody. And. Uh, this year is going to be no exception. We've we've lots of things done bigger and better than ever before. So we're we're hoping for a good one. Um, we'll we'll get into that. I, I take it it's 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 huge for the for the city, right? It's huge for the local economy. That's why having crowds back is is going to be so great. But it's you know it's it's not just big for for racing fans. It's it's a whole community feel. Yeah, it is. You know, Galway really is a, a you know while while we are a city, you know we are a small city really. I think about one hundred fifty thousand people. Uh, so you know everybody gets involved in this week, and I think we work very well hand in hand with the city. Uh, you know we're we're so close to it; we're just a couple of kilometers from the from the centre of town, uh, and everybody works together to to welcome people, whether it's local people, whether it's people from around the country, or from people coming in from internationally. Uh, we get a big contingent in from the UK, uh, and everybody you know welcomes people to Galway. It's uh, a real fun city. Uh, it's a real festival city and uh, you know I think anybody coming here it's, it's a real experience because you know while you come to the race course and, and the party happens it, it continues in town after racing and you know everybody gets involved and puts their best foot forward and you know I think the economic impact the last time we measured it was somewhere in the region of 54 million to the local city and county so it's a huge impact on, on the city for the week uh, but so I think I think that's why everybody loves it and everybody is, is so proud that they're, they're, they're part of it and I think the, as I say our, our links with the city is, is what really makes it such a success. So just before we get into to the racing side what, what else have you got um perhaps family wise music wise other attractions that 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 sort of coincide with with the racing that that add to the racing experience yeah look i i i think uh maybe the last couple of years has, has challenged us to, to think differently in terms of how we do things and 
Uh, really, I, I suppose, in terms of our access to, to food and beverage, uh, we've done a lot of work on that in terms of having new facilities. We have a new Guinness Village. Uh, we have numerous new bars uh, around the enclosure. Uh, we have a huge uh, music lineup uh, right throughout the week. I think we have you know 50 live acts uh, on stage in, in different venues throughout the race course uh, over the week. So it's a it's a huge entertainment piece as well. Uh, people come to Galway, as you say, not just for the race but for the for the social occasion. And uh, the Ladies' Day here on Thursday is, is a massive event. There's ten thousand euros in cash prize to the to the winner of the best dressed lady competition on Thursday. A sure. uh, fashion features highly on Friday, and then. As we go into the weekend, you know, Saturday is a, is a strong day as well and we, we get lots of people maybe that haven't had the opportunity to, to come during the week, come on, come on a Saturday and then Sunday is a, a full family team day and uh, there's a huge amount of entertainment uh, for the kids on offer. And, and I suppose as far as attracting um, connections goes, the, the big thing is more prize money on offer, over 300 grand more prize money on offer this year. That's all part of ensuring that, that Galway continues to be as attractive as ever as a place to race horses yeah look i i think that's something that we're we're very conscious of and uh you know really fortunate uh to have such a big price fund uh, we've over 2.1 million euros uh, on offer over the, the the week over the 53 races michael i hope you have a, a fantastic week thanks for your time brilliant thanks very much Sam. All right well lydia hislop who is going to send us away with a tip please lydia Right, I am going to the 2.45 at Lingfield today and the horse I've chosen is Cartib. Um, I think he's unexposed over a mile. Admittedly, he's still a maiden after six starts, but I thought he ran into a good one at Ripon last time. Prior to that, I thought he ran really well over a trip that probably tests his stamina at Sandown. Um, and I think he's on um, a very feasible mark. And at the moment, um, he's around about the uh, 11 to Four, 9 to 4 to 11 to 4 mark so that is Cartib K-A-A-T-I-B-B in the 2.45 at Lingfield today Lydia thank you very much thanks to everyone at home for listening I'll be back tomorrow with Jay Mangan as primary guest that was Wednesday the 20th of July You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily brought to you in association with Fitzdares the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.